we need to roll that one more time and just get you guys up off your seats and, and dance. Doesn't that music just, don't you just want to show? So here's the only thing I'm thinking right now. I wish I could have been in front of, uh, on the other side of the mirror this morning as you were practicing that routine. That, did, you ha- did you wear the hat and everything to get into character as you sort of, that was, that was really good. I, I liked it. I liked it. I might have to, have to call on Cowboy, Cowboy Bob every once in a while to come down to Bedford. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Tim Thompson. I used to work at this church. Um, uh, I still work for this church. I'm the campus pastor at our Bedford location. I'm loving it, but I am thrilled to be here with you guys this morning too. So if you don't know me, I, I, I'm, I'm great. You're going to love it. Uh, do you ever have an encounter that challenges your assumptions and changes your perspective? Tuesday morning, I was up here for some meetings and I got a text from Christy, who is our uh, admin uh, director at our Bedford campus. And she said, have you talked to Amanda and Terry? I'm going to call them Amanda and Terry because, one, that's their name, and two, they gave me permission to tell this story. So Amanda and Terry are a very a young, newlywed couple in our congregation, and when I get a text saying, have you talked to Terry and Amanda, I just start to have a sinking feeling. This is, my assumption was, this is about some relationship stuff. Like, oh, I, I, I hate marriage counseling. <laughs> like, oh. And Christy continues with the text. She says, Amanda's cousin was shot and killed in Indianapolis yesterday morning. I'm like, oh, no. She goes, it gets worse. It was her husband who killed her. <sighs> How do you respond to something like that? What, what do you say? What do you do? So as soon as I could get free, I, I called Terry and said, oh, what's going on? How can we help? And so he, he told me, he goes, we found out because DCS, Department of Child Protective Services, called us and asked us what they're going to do with the six-month-old baby. He goes, that's how we found out. I said, oh, Terry. So we talked a little bit. I said, okay, uh, how, we want to help in every way we can. Uh, and, and I want to pray for you. And he goes, oh, we would really appreciate that. He said, but Tim, can you, can you um, pray for? And he gave me the name of the husband who shot his wife. Can you pray for this person? That was not what I was expecting to hear from Terry. Terry was distraught. He was beside himself. He was filled with just the desire to unleash hell on this young man. But he said, can you pray for him? He says, I can't. He said, I can't. I'm not in a place where I can pray for him yet, but he needs prayer. And if you will pray for him, we would really appreciate that. Terry challenged my assumptions, changed my perspective of Terry. (laughs) Jesus says the same thing. Today, we're going to be looking at a story he tells that 
challenges assumptions and changes perspective in our series that we're calling It's Kind of Like, where we look at the parables of Jesus and look at how they instruct us and how they tell us about the heart of Jesus and the kingdom that he is building. So if you have your Bibles with you and, and you want to turn to Luke chapter 10, that's where we're gonna be. Luke is the third book of the Gospels where we tell the story of Jesus or Luke tells the story of Jesus and you're gonna go to chapter 10. We'll have the words up here as well. As you're looking, if you've got your Bibles and wanna turn, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna pray that God will speak to us from his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that as we follow you, you are conforming us more and more into your your image, the image of your son. So you're challenging assumptions, you're changing our perspective as we trust and obey, you, you make us more like Jesus. And that's what we want. We wanna be in full agreement with your purposes and your plans for our lives. We wanna be, we wanna be working with the Holy Spirit and not frustrating the work of the Holy Spirit as he is as he is doing that good work in us. So open our ears to hear what you're having to say to us this morning. Open our eyes to see something in a new way that we may not have seen before. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a year, I and Alan Burris will be flying into Tel Aviv. And I would love to take all of you with us when we go. If you've ever thought about going to Israel, talk to me. We would love to take you with us. We fly into Tel Aviv usually in the evening. And so visibility is somewhat limited. But there's a little community just south of Tel Aviv where a very small and tight group of people live. These people are called Samaritans. They still exist. Now, it's a, again, it's a small, maybe a 1,000 people strong. But in Jesus' time, there were two main people groups, and the Samaritans were one of them, Jews and Samaritans. They were the people that Jesus lived and worked and, and, and taught among. Now, they do not get along. If you take a quick look at the, at the stories in the Bible, you'll see that they have a very volatile relationship, which is weird because they're family. But some of you who are a part of families know how this works. It can be very volatile at times. The family originally divided over politics. Hmm, who would have thought? Who would have thought? Politics. Um, the, a new king came. I'll give you just a quick history. New King King. The 10 tribes to the north said, the guy's an idiot. We're not following him. The guys to the south said, well, you're right. He is an idiot, but he's our king. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna keep him. The guys to the north started their whole thing. Got a new king. Did their own thing up there. The guys to the south did their thing. The political divide quickly grew to include not just politics, but culture, religion, and even ethnicity changes. Sometimes it even led to violence, to the point where if a Jew were to cross over into Samaritan territory, he was taking his life into his hands. It was very, very dangerous. Now, Jesus, who wasn't afraid of anything, traveled with his disciples through Samaritan territory all the time. One time, he was traveling with his disciples, and it was a long journey, and he says, I want you guys to go ahead and get some lodging for us and our crew uh, in the next Samaritan village. And so the disciples took off and, and tried to do that, and the Samaritans said, no way. You people have no place in our community. Get out. We don't want your kind here. 
Disciples go back to Jesus and says, they were the rudest people. Do you want us to kill them? <laughs> Jesus is like, no, I don't want you to. Uh. It's this context that Jesus tells the story that we're going we're to read today in Luke chapter 10. He's teaching, and there's a crowd gathered around him, and there's a guy who's a legal scholar. He's a student. He considers himself an expert in the law, and Luke calls him an expert in the law. He knows his stuff, and here's the dialogue that goes on between them, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds, well, well, what is written in the law that you know so much about? How do you read and interpret that, that law? The teacher of the law says, well, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And this is an Old Testament law called the Shema. Everyone would know that. So that was a good answer, good answer. And he says, and he says oh, and the other one is love your neighbor as yourself. That's another Old Testament law. And Jesus says, yeah, good job. You've answered correctly. A plus. Do this and you will live. Now our friend could have smiled to himself and walked away, assuming that his perspective was correct. He could pat himself on the back and said, look at that. All that schooling paid off. But our friend is a little bit of a jerk. Do you know people like this? And he wants to uh, let everyone know just how much he knows. Luke records it this way. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this familiar story. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you travel with us to Israel, we will take this route from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers and he was stripped naked, left naked on the ground, they beat him. And when I, I don't mean they slapped him around. They beat him because they left him on the ground for dead. A priest, teacher of, of God, uh, a religious figure, says this. He happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, <laughs> he passed by on the other side. The next guy to come by was a Levite. And when, when he came to the place, he, he too, he did the same thing. He passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine, which would have cleansed and purified the wounds. He put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. Till the next day. The next day he took out his purse and gave the innkeeper some money and said, look after him and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus turns to this cocky young lawyer and says, okay, you tell me. Who, who is the neighbor to this man who fell among the robbers? And the expert in the law says, well, 
I mean, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, good answer. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now, this story has been told for over 2,000 years now in every culture in the world. And so there are very few people and countries and, and ethical systems that do not know this story of the Good Samaritan. So to us, we may go, yeah, that's a good story. Hmm. In fact, there are, there are some very easy lessons, I think, that don't necessarily challenge our assumptions or change our perspective, especially those of us who have followed Jesus for a long time. Anyway, we have the mind of Christ, and so we're already thinking along certain very practical lines from this story right here. The first, the first very good lesson that I see out of this is, is, is don't beat up and rob travelers. I'm a traveler. I do not like getting beat up when I'm traveling. It's really bad for tourism, too. So if you're a robber, don't beat up travelers. Stick with your own kind. The second lesson is this. Don't judge people. People will surprise you. People will act in ways that you did not expect. So we don't judge people. We don't make assumptions about them. We let God be their judge. That's the second lesson. The third lesson is, I think, the one that all of us probably would come up with. Well, be like the Samaritan. After all, Jesus says, go and do likewise. That's the easy, easy win uh, lesson from this story. Be like the Samaritan. He's the hero of the story. He stops, he checks for a pulse. When he finds one, he applies emergency first aid. He gets him someplace close where he can be taken care of. He gives the innkeeper his health savings account information. Use it all, use what you need. There'll be more where that came from. He's incredibly generous and we should be more like him. Jesus clearly smiles on guys like this Samaritan. Go and do likewise. And we could end the sermon right there. Get out early, go to lunch. Wouldn't that be fun? It's not gonna happen today. Because of this, in light of, of what, I, what I know about the Terry and Amanda situation, there's something interesting that I think we should at least give a little consideration to. I would like us to think a little bit about the perspective of the victim in this story. This is a guy whose entire future is now different than it was when he took off from Jerusalem a couple of hours ago. Whose plans and his intentions and his goals are now completely different than what he and his wife had talked about the day before. Everything is different. So much uncertainty, confusion, he will never walk the same way again. They beat him and crushed his limbs, I'm sure. I, I'm assuming they, they beat him on the head. I, I think his vision and maybe his, even his understanding and ability to comprehend things will never be the same again. He is not the same guy now as he was just a few hours earlier. His life is completely, completely in tatters. I think about Terry, who said, I, I, don't, I don't know 
what, what we're going to do. DCS is calling, and they, they want us to take a baby. This, we're not ready for this. Don't call me a hero because I don't want to do this. But who else is going to do it? In our story, we know next to nothing about the victim. He has no speaking lines. There's very little action. He walks into the story. He gets thrown down on the ground. He spends the rest of the story in bed. But he's the reason the story exists in the first place. So let's, let's, talk, about, let's talk about this guy. The way Jesus frames the story, and given the audience that Jesus is speaking to, it's very likely that Jesus intends this guy to be a Jew, but we don't know that. We do know that he was just walking and a horrible thing happens and he's left for dead. And when he finally regains consciousness, when his bruised and bleeding eyes are finally able to open up, he sees in front of him a Samaritan, and I suspect his first impulse would be to assume that the bad Samaritan beat him up. And the innkeeper says, no, 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 you got it wrong. The Samaritan helped you. A man I wouldn't cross the road for, cross the road for me, he had to have thought. And if you think the listeners of this story were taken aback by the story Jesus is telling, I mean, put your... Put yourself in the place of this, of this beat-up victim. Do you think it changed him? Do you think it altered his perspective on what it looks like to be merciful? I have to believe it would. If you've ever been shown unexpected mercy, it changes you. You can never look at that person and what they represent the same way ever again. So it was about 20 years ago. That's how old I'm getting. And I was working on staff at a church just to the south of us. And uh, we were struggling as a church. It was hard. Sherwood Oaks up the road was doing great. In fact, they were doing so good that half of my band members would uh, come in and I would, I would dread them saying, hey, can we talk? Because I knew they were gonna say, we're leaving this church and going up to Sherwood Oaks. I'm like, oh, I hate that church. <laughs> I mean, you laugh, but I did not like it. I didn't like the church. I didn't like Tom Ellsworth, who was the senior pastor here for years. I would see him out with his hair and he'd be shaking hands and smiling, laughing with people like he does. And I'd go, he's a jerk. <laughs> I don't like him. I don't like him. I don't like that church. So it was several years later when I, I am in the middle of a ministry that is beating me up. I am, I am broken. And all I want to do is, is anything else. I will sell carpet. I, I don't, I'll mow yards. I, I'm just done with this. And I get a call from Tom Ellsworth who says, Tim, we need someone to join our family and help with worship. Would you be interested? I'm like, oh God, this is, no. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Not those people. 
But my pastor at the time said, hold on, don't be Judgy McJudgerson. And my mom said, hold on, that'd be a great church. I'm like, oh, you don't know what I know about those people up there. <laughs> and I met with them. And I had a conversation with Tom out in the, I'm telling you guys stuff that I didn't tell the other services. This is why, this is why it pays to sleep in. <laughs> and Tom, and Tom is out in the parking lot and he says, I think you can do this. I'm like, oh, I know I can do it, but do I want to do it here? No, I didn't. Like, I don't know, Tom, this is a big church. I'm used to a little congregation of 50 or 60. What do you think? He goes, I think you can do it. The mercy that was extended to me in that place and time in my life, the support and encouragement I got from the leadership of this church and the warmth and welcome I received from the congregation of this church changed me. Mercy and kindness always challenges our assumptions and changes our perspective, and, and that did. And now, if you talk about my church, if you talk about Tom Ellsworth, if you talk about the leaders, I will throw down. And I'm, I'm not a throw down kind of guy. I'll take you to coffee. I don't want to throw down, but I will. If you, talk, if you talk nonsense about my church, man, mercy and kindness change us. Change us, just like Jesus does. You know, Tom was a good Samaritan, but Jesus <laughs> is the good Samaritan. He saw me. He saw where I was. Tom didn't. Tom was the innkeeper. He took me in. But Jesus was the good Samaritan. Jesus makes our broken stories beautiful stories. That's what I'm praying for Terry and Amanda. Right now, they're all over the map. They don't know which way is up. But I'm praying that Jesus will meet them in their grief and their distress and their confusion and he will bind up their wounds and he will heal their pain and he'll give them strength to do what they need to do. The next right thing, as Claudia says, I'm praying for our little community at Bedford that we will step into the role that needs to happen, that we will be caregivers, that we will come alongside them and bless them and help them get strong and heal up so that they can continue their journey now with a little six-month-old baby girl. God takes broken stories and he makes beautiful stories. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes. It's been a rough couple months at our campus. We've, people have unexpectedly passed away that we just were just so dear to us. There's some recurring health issues going on with people. And I tell you, I, I'm just, so there are days where I'm just overwhelmed with the, with the weight of, of trying to care the way Jesus cares. And trying to make sense of stuff that only God can make sense of. But there's a passage in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11. And, and it's a short little phrase. But in that short little phrase, there is so much hope. And there's so much future in that. Here it is. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything. 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 I don't know what you've got going on in your life right now. I don't know where the places of brokenness and bruising and bleeding are in your life right now where you just don't know, God, what is going on? But we all have those seasons in our life. And, and it's tempting <laughs> just to say, I don't know. I'm gonna give up, I'm gonna lay down here, and I'm just gonna die. 
But that verse for me has been a place where my spirit has settled and my soul has landed there and this is where I'm standing right now is that God is making all things beautiful. Everything beautiful in its time. Broken stories become beautiful stories. It's, it's early days yet with Carrie and Amanda but I already see it happening. We had the service this past week and I saw a little family learning how to, to lean and grieve together and lean on each other, love each other more deeply. This Friday, two days ago, a little six-month-old girl showed up on Terry and Amanda's doorstep. <laughs> I saw a church come together with clothes and baby cribs and blankets and everything they could possibly need. A little church showed up to help them make that happen, to help a little sweet home get established. One of the most beautiful moments, though, for me was when I'm talking to Terry on the phone two weeks ago, and he says in the middle of just all this uncertainty and all this fear and all this anxiety and all this like, oh, God, what is going on? All this anger. He goes, I would shoot him right now if he was in front of me. He says, but he needs to be prayed for. Can you pray for him? I'm like, oh, my word. I mean, that's mercy. That's mercy like Jesus demonstrates when he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they've done. There's an old hymn. And the first verse goes like this. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. And I love that picture of God's mercy as a sea where there is room for everybody to jump in. Jesus asked the, asked the little lawyer guy, he goes, so, so who, is, who is the neighbor? He says, it's the guy who showed mercy. Yeah, yeah, Jesus says, go and do that. Go and show mercy. We're gonna have a time of communion here in just a little bit, but again, I wanna show you that I, I shared Terry and Amanda's story. They gave me permission. Stories are very precious things, by the way. You gotta be very careful with other people's stories. But they wanted it shared because they need your prayers. We still do not know how this will play out. What does the future bring? We do not know. We are right now half blind and limping, trying to make our way through this thing, knowing that God will make something beautiful of it, but not seeing it quite yet. So right now we're praying for God's justice because he is a God of justice, and we want justice in this situation. But we're also praying for God's mercy, for him to mercifully take this horrible, horrible, horrible thing and make something beautiful out of it out of it and I know that God will answer that because that's who he is he makes all things beautiful and it's time and he knows he knows this story he's lived it personally he's always looking for the broken and the beat up and the nearly dead and he's always bringing new life out of that because that's what he experienced he too was broken he was beat up he was left bleeding and he died. 
So now he, he doesn't turn aside. He doesn't walk to the other side of the street. No, no, no. He, he gets right down in our face and says, how, how, can I, how can I help you? Let me help you. Trust me. In our wicked world, he humbly kneels down and he pours oil and wine over us and restores us to life. And then he brings us to a place where we can be taken care of and nurtured and loved. And our story can continue. He entrusts the broken and the bleeding and the bruised to you and I because we know what it's like. We love because he first loved us. First John three sixteen says, this is what that kind of love looks like. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and so we now lay down our lives for each other. You have been loved, so go and do likewise, just like Jesus does. We're gonna share in a time of communion, and I'm gonna pray, and then you guys know what to do after that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for the life and love that you give to us because of your love and death for us. We commit, as we take the bread and the cup, we commit to love as you have loved us. You laid down your life for us. When we were still enemies of God, you loved us so that we could be reconciled back to you. We were hard to love, Jesus, but you did it anyway. So help us love others the same way. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can watch all of our video content, both current and past, on our YouTube channel? Visit youtube.com slash Sherwood Oaks to watch messages, series, and complete worship services.